Well, that was, thanks, Clark. Um, man, it's good to be here. Uh, it's good to, it's good to be a part of a church that sends people. It's hard sometimes, right, when, when you're, um, when you're not being uh, sent, uh, but I'm glad that we're a part of it. It's actually my second time to be a part of a commissioning service for Leslie. Last time, though, had the pleasure of going with her, so that was fun. Uh, honestly, one of the great joys of my, my years in ministry has, has been being teammates with Leslie, and so um, I'm a little, little jealous, if I'm honest. Um, oh, yeah, who am I? My name's Danny Pierce. Uh, I'm on staff here at the church, and I, as I'm saying that, I don't remember what my title is. It's, it's on the website, <laughs> so check it out. Um, come up with something cool real quick. Um, and... Uh, so we're, we got a, we're taking three weeks uh, to look at some stories from the Gospel of Luke, <clears throat> here you go, about um, how people respond to Jesus. So it's a finances series, uh, but it's not strictly about money, it's about responding. How do we respond? And we're taking a look at um, how we respond in terms of, of, our, of our money and our finances. Um, <clears throat> and so I think we're calling this the, the good, the bad, the beautiful Last week, Mark preached out of uh, Luke 19, <clears throat> excuse me, that time of year, uh, the story of Zacchaeus and how Zacchaeus had a good response to Jesus. Uh, this week, I'm, I'm the bad one. Next week, Clark, you're beautiful. <laughs> so there you go. <clears throat> uh, you can open up your Bibles to, uh, to Luke 18. Um, Luke 18, verses uh, 18 through 30. This story is oftentimes called the, the story of the rich young ruler. Uh, I'll just point this out as, uh, for the Bible geeks in the room that Luke actually never refers to him as young. That story, I think that comes from Mark. Uh, just minor little details. So if I call him the rich young ruler, it's out of habit. If you're a real tight textualist, you're going to say, this doesn't say he's young. I know. Okay? We cool? So, but I'll probably do it just out of habit. Uh, Luke 18, verse 18. I'm just going to read through it, and then we're going to walk through the passage and ask some questions. Um, <clears throat> A certain ruler asked him, that's Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come, follow me. <clears throat> when he heard this, he became very sad, because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all we, all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. <clears throat> All right, so you don't have to be a Bible scholar to realize here that the central uh, question at stake is what the man asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? 
Jesus, in classic Jesus fashion, does not give him a direct answer. That's his style, right? Uh, at least not yet. Um, you know, and even the question of, well, why do you call me good, which is a little bit confusing. Anybody confused by that? I am a little bit, if I'm honest. Uh, is Jesus saying that he's not good? Don't think that's quite how it goes. Uh, there is a sense in which the word good only properly describes God. And you go through the Old Testament, Lord, you are good, your mercy endures forever, things like that. Some uh, think that Jesus is pointing somewhat subtly to his, uh, his true nature uh, as God, right? As God incarnate. And I think when we get down a little further, we might be able to see a little more support for that. Uh, but it's interesting, you know, he says, you know the commandments. And he, and he lists off, you may have noticed, five of the Ten Commandments. Uh, it would be a fun little quiz to see how many of us could do the Ten Commandments in order. Uh, I might be able to get them in order. I know the Ten, right? But he, he gives them five of them. And, uh, and, and you'll notice, too, that the, the Ten Commandments, which is kind of the summary, right? The ethical summary for a lot of people of, of the uh, Old Testament law. And they kind of fall in two categories. There are, there are vertical ones and horizontal ones. What do I mean by that? Um, six of the Ten Commandments deal with what we might call their horizontal, that is, relationships with other people, right? Don't murder other people, right? Don't steal from other people, and so on. Uh, and four of them are what you might call vertical, that is, they deal with our relationship to God. Now, you'll notice here that he only talks, uh, he only uses some of the, what we call horizontal ones, right? So, uh, and, and the ruler, it seems, this, this, uh, this man, he says, well, all, I, all these I have kept since I was a boy. I'm going to guess he's probably feeling okay at this point, right? Okay, if this is what i got to do, I can do this. I've honored my father and mother. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't committed adultery. I'm okay. Uh, and Jesus doesn't actually argue with him. He doesn't say, actually, I know every secret sin, right? Now, he does probably, <laughs> and he doesn't mind calling out hypocrites in other scenarios, but in this case, he doesn't. And so uh, I think just for the sake of the, the conversation, I think we can assume that he was basically right, that this man was probably a decent, good person, right, by, by those standards. So, what does Jesus do? He turns the tables on this guy, and he recenters the entire issue of eternal life around himself. All right, so what does he say? You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, now, why this, right? And I, I mentioned a second ago that Jesus left out the, the vertical commandments dealing with our relationship with God. You guys, you know, like no, uh, no idolatry, honor the Sabbath, those things. Uh, and I, I can't help but wonder if Jesus is still actually dealing with those, uh, the, the vertical thing, the, the, our relationship with God, but he's recentering it. So in other words, instead of just rattling off four commandments, make sure you follow this. He's saying, look, the relationship with God, the key to eternal life, is centered on me. Come follow me. Do you see what I'm saying? He's, he's in, in essence, though, what those commandments are trying to do to get us to relate properly to God is actually done through Jesus. The problem, though, is that this man had barriers, right? He had, he had obstacles in front of him, specifically his wealth. So Jesus tells him, and Jesus knows this, and we're going to, again, we'll get to this, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Right now, uh, you might be asking, or is, I've asked this question, like, so do I have to sell everything I have and give to the poor, right? I mean, it's a pretty straightforward command. If you're the kind of person who's like, I just read the Bible and I do it, 
Well, get out there and do it. I want to see you do it, right? Um, and Jesus doesn't command every wealthy person to do this. And in the next chapter, you can tell I need some, huh? That is a good wife. Um, thank you. Um, the communication, so good. Don't even have to say a word. Um, right, so Jesus doesn't command everyone to do this. In the next chapter, Luke 19, we see the story of Zacchaeus. Mark preached on it last week, which means we did this out of order. It's okay. Um, the bad, the good, and the ugly doesn't sound as good. Or bad, the good, and the beautiful, sorry. Uh, so the next chapter is Zacchaeus. What percentage of his possessions did he get rid of? Half. 50%. Does Jesus say, uh-uh, all of it, dude? No, he accepts it. 50%. He says, I'm going to give half, and then if I cheat anybody, I'll give them four times back. So my point is just to say, uh, it's not the specifics of the command for all of us in this room. It was for this guy, right? Uh, and yet... We can't skip the major issue here. I think sometimes we do this when we're reading the Bible, and especially Jesus, because, man, he says some hard things. And we say, like, well, he doesn't mean it literally, right? So if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. We're like, well, he doesn't mean it literally. Don't pluck your eye out. And we all know this. But then we don't wrestle with what he's actually saying. Like he's calling us to something radical and something difficult. You understand? And so there is still this deep underlying issue of greed right and of the need the call to be extravagantly generous that jesus is pointing out and so the 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 the, this ruler's response uh reveals his heart right so it says uh when he heard this he became very sad because he was very wealthy jesus looked at him and said how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of god indeed it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, now, I'm going to, can I press the pause button real quick? Uh, and can we have a little time of confession? I should have done this before the, before the communion. Um, and so, uh, I, I, this story, it, it's interesting. So, when I was in, um, rewind time a little bit. When I was in fourth grade, uh, my family had to, had to move. My father was in the military, I grew up in a Navy town, uh, which was kind of a fun place that we lived on at Navy housings. There's hundreds of kids, and what at that time at least was the largest submarine base in, in the world. So there are kids everywhere. My elementary school, as far as I know, 100% of the kids were part of military families. Uh, and then my, my dad retired, and so we had to move. Now we moved a big whopping six miles away. But it felt like we moved to a whole different world. Right? We're still in the same school system, the same town, ended up at a different elementary school. And we did this halfway through fourth grade here. So we moved during Christmas break. So the first ba- day back in January, I'm at a new school. Uh, and that's hard, right? And anybody else move when you're a kid? That's a, that's a hard thing to do. And, uh, I, and this memory is, is just burned into my brain for as long as I live. And some of you may have known me long enough or heard me tell this story. Uh, my first day, so I show up. My mom walks me in to meet the principal and all that. And I go to my classroom. And all my classmates were off in, I don't know, music class or something. So I met my teacher, you know, Mr. Miles, nice guy, has me sit down in the seat and he says, okay, they'll be back in in a second. And then a couple minutes later, the whole class files in. This is going to get to the point, don't worry. The whole class files in and I was like, oh my gosh, what universe am I living in, right? Because they walk in and all the kids, they're, they're dressed so nice and they're wearing like corduroys, you know, those shirts with the little alligators on them. Do you remember those? Right? And I was like, no. 
And I looked down, and this is no joke, I was wearing sweatpants and an ALF t-shirt. Again. <laughs> Shout out to ALF. Um, sweatpants and an ALF t-shirt. And I, was, I knew instantly, I was like, oh no, oh no, I, where, where am I? It's like some kind of Twilight Zone episode. These are really dated references. <laughs> we here at Antioch use only the most updated and relevant pop culture references. So if you were alive back in 1989, you totally get it. Um, okay, and so, but here's the thing. It was a really hard experience, and then it has marked my life. Those kids were merciless. I mean, I got made fun of so much. Now, I my family was not poor, Right? But in military families, you don't get rich. You're not poor, but no one's getting wealthy off the military. Okay? And so, but I moved to a part of town where there were some really rich kids. And I had never experienced this before. Right? In my elementary school, as I said, they were all military kids. So the, the, the range of salaries were not that big. And suddenly, I'm around kids who, who, who were just, who were wealthy. And that's not a problem, but man, they, were, they made fun of me so much. And they, they dressed so nice. And they looked different. They made fun of my clothes. They made fun of my hair. Right? They dressed every day like they were dressing for picture day. And I was like, I dressed for kickball. Right? I, just, I needed the ra full range of motion in my right leg to dominate out there, which I did. Okay? But it was coming from two different worlds. Right? And it was the first time in my life I had ever... That was, how, that was my introduction to different classes, economic classes. And it was a rough one, right? It was a rough one. Hearing kids make fun of people who got their clothes from Bradley's, and I'm like, oh, that was me. Did anybody else buy clothes at Bradley's? Thank you, Dave Croak. There we go, one of us. Chris, yeah, you guys know, right? So here's the thing. This is why I'm bringing this up. For years, I would read, uh, read passages like this or hear sermons on passages like this. And in my mind, honestly, if I'm honest, I'm like pumping my fist. I'm saying, get them, Jesus. Get those rich kids, right? And I'm replaying all those times I got made fun of because my hair was all whacked out and everything because my mom tried the magic thumb spit to get the cowlick down and never worked, right? And so that, and I would just, I would, yeah, that's right, Jesus. And then I moved to Indonesia. And suddenly, I was the rich guy. Like, out of nowhere, I'm the rich dude. We have money that most of our neighbors didn't have. And we weren't, you know, there were Indonesians that were wealthier, but man, that people who, uh, who we would have thought of as like our, our similar class, and, and, and they did not look at us that way. And it's not just simply the color of our skin, although that's part of it. It's just that they know we have money that they don't have. And the wealthier Indonesians thought, kind of included us and, and put us in their camp. And I'm still holding years of grudges against rich people who made fun of me. It, I mean, this was the bit, I'm kind of ashamed to say, you notice I call this a confession, right? Not bragging. I'm not saying any of this is good. It was like an identity crisis for me. Because suddenly the kid who got picked on for, and I wasn't even poor, but not being as wealthy as everyone else, was the rich dude. And I didn't really know how to respond. And all those years of hearing sermons on this and thinking, man, I hope so-and-so is paying attention to this, right? And I'm sitting here wondering, were my Indonesian friends thinking the same thing? Man, I really hope Danny is listening to this sermon, right? So what's my point here? See, we're, we're kind of always tempted to see the line of wealthy and not wealthy as above us. However much money I make, I, I will always make sure that line stays here. So this passage applies to someone else, not me. 
Do you understand that temptation? But here's the thing. Globally speaking, most of us in this room are wealthy. And even if you're not, you have opportunities to be wealthy. <laughs> and I'm talking wealthy on a global scale. I, I get it. that In Boston, it's like, you know, we have four kids. It's hard to be wealthy here. But the fact is, is uh, you know, we're doing okay, right? We have running water and we have heat that may or may not ever get turned on. Right? You understand? Okay. So I'm saying this. I, I, why am I saying this? I, I think some of us in this room, it's easy to bypass stories like this and say, well, I'm not wealthy. It has nothing to do with me. Uh, but it really does. We all kind of fit in. Most of us. I don't want to say all of us. It's possible someone in this room doesn't. But the vast majority of us in this room still fit into this camp. And if you don't today, you might someday. You're a college student. You're like, well, I got no money. Well, you will. Someday you will. Lord willing. Okay. <clears throat> but even then, this still brings up the question, uh, why, why do we hang on to our, uh, why are we tempted to hang on to our wealth? Even if it's not that much by our understanding. Uh, and why, why is this man so tempted to cling? Doesn't want to give it up. I mean, you think about it. Jesus even said, you will have treasure in heaven if you give up your treasure today. And the man didn't want to do it. Now, so we're talking, we're talking wealth versus eternal life. This, to me, seems like a no-brainer. Yet clearly it wasn't for him. And honestly, for me, maybe it's not. Maybe it's not a no-brainer. And I think part of it is, and I'm not an expert on these matters. I'm not an expert on money. Um, part of it is that wealth is still, in a way, still a means to an end. Right? So even accumulating wealth is... Uh, it's for something else. It's not just simply the money, right? And so, and, and I understand, again, a lot of us, and I would be willing to bet a lot of us in this room are not even hoping to get filthy rich, right? I, I don't remember who it was. I, I, it was a comedian, somebody, uh, probably better, I forget their name, who I heard say one time, he's like, I'm not wanting to be filthy rich. I just want to make enough money so I don't have to think twice to get extra guac, right? <laughs> and I think a lot of us, does that resonate with anybody? That's cool, just... Go to Anna's Taqueria, load up on guac, and not have to worry about it, right? And so, that's a lot of us. But here's the thing, right? Wealth is still, it's a means to an end, right? Is it, is it uh, this man's wealth was, is what led to honor, respect, prestige, his position in society? Is it uh, comfort, right? He wants to live a comfortable life. I think it's actually true of most Americans. We are an incredibly comfortable nation right um is it that wealth is a is a uh, tangible sense of accomplishment you can point to something look look at my bank account i've done something with my life right uh is it wealth leading to a sense of security identity a sense of belonging a sense of worth now all of those are temptations for us whether or not we are wealthy right Something in that of what I just said is going to apply to you somehow. And so here's the thing. Jesus, right, is extending to this man and to us. He's extending an invitation. Give it up and follow me. Give it all up. You'll get the type of honor that truly matters if you follow me. Right? You'll have security. You'll have your identity. You'll have a sense of belonging, a sense of self-worth if you follow me. You will have, and this passage is all about, eternal life. You will, have, you will enter the kingdom of God if you follow me. 
You see, he's recentering the whole conversation around himself. And it's hard. It's hard to give these things up. Um, even so much so that the, those around um, ask the question, who then can be saved? Now, it seems to me, this seems to indicate, right, they're looking at this man. He's probably a relatively righteous person. And oftentimes, his wealth would have been indicated, would have been seen as God's blessing on his life. And Jesus is saying, hey, buddy, you're still outside the kingdom. So everyone around is worried. If a righteous, wealthy, blessed by God person is not in the kingdom, who then can be saved? And again, Jesus doesn't say, well, here's the five criteria. <laughs> you know, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Right? So to root out the, re the, the reasons for our greed, for our insecurity, our pride, that requires God's work. Right? You simply cannot do it on your own. That's why it's impossible for you. That's why it's impossible for me. It, it, the only option is to turn it over to God and say, rip it out. Root it out. I give it to you. Will you rip out my, my, my greed and my insecurities and my pride? Get rid of it. Uh, and you'll notice too that, that there is another contrast here. Uh, Peter, I'm just going to toss this. It'll be a treasure for someone later. Uh, and Peter, it's interesting, Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. And I would love to know his tone of voice when he said this. Was this like confident? Yes, we left everything, Jesus. Or was it like, hey, we left everything, right? Right? We're okay? We're good? You know, I, I don't, that would have been me. I would have been like, yes, yeah, give me a head nod, please, some indication, please. And, uh, and, I, and I think Jesus, uh, you know, it seems to me that it, he's encouraging, Right? Whatever you've left, you'll receive as much and more. Right? You'll receive as much and more in this life and in the age to come. Do you see the trade-off here? Right? You can cling to all these things now, or you can have it all and more for all of eternity. Right? This is why we give. This is why we give. This is why we live with open hands. Because the, what, we're, what we're clinging to now, what we're trying to achieve now, man, it just isn't worth it. It's not worth it if I'm going to lose out on something for all of eternity. Eternity is a long time. Right? I'll take eternal treasures. Right? And, and again, I want to say, this isn't just about money. Because it really is about, about our hearts. What are we turning over to God? We're commissioning people to go out. To leave their families. To leave their homes. I don't know if it's any easier the second time around, but it's still hard. And it's hard, not just for the people who are leaving, for the ones who are uh, watching them leave. And do we have enough faith to say, but man, if we give this up, we will receive as much here and as much and more in eternity. It really is a way to expose our hearts. Am I fully given to God? Right, so, so what do we do with this? What do we, how, do we, how do we respond? Right? So we're taking three weeks to talk about finances. Honestly, because I think that finances reveal a lot about our hearts. Okay? Um, we've seen, last week we saw that Zacchaeus' heart was open to Jesus. How do we know this? Because he responded with this lavish generosity. And Jesus didn't even tell him to. You notice that, right? 
Jesus didn't say, hey, Zacchaeus, here's what you need to do. He just said, man, Jesus ate lunch with me. I'm going to give. It seems like a non sequitur. <laughs> and yet, what are, we, what are we doing? This is a response to an encounter with Jesus. And so that's the question. How do we respond? How do we respond to Jesus? Now, I don't know the financial status of us in this room. Uh, I don't really want to know. Please don't show me your bank account. Um, but I do understand something about human nature. Right? I, I know the temptations to avoid generosity, to try to dodge it. Like I said about trying to make passages like this not apply to me. It's a temptation. I get it. We, I, I've, I've fallen to it. Um, and, and I know the temptation to find our security, our, our worth, our accomplishments in, in money or possessions or some other accolades or whatever. You see, the call to generosity is a call to release those things and follow Jesus all the way into eternal life. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. There is something about encountering Jesus that demands a response of generosity. Right? It forces us to come to grips with why we're, our, our inclinations are against generosity. And you see, generosity, it's not just a response to God's generosity towards us, although I think that's true. Right? Generosity, giving, releasing what, what we have, it's an active step and it's a declaration that we will find our happiness, our joy, our worth in Jesus. Can we have the, the band come up? I want to take some time here. Um, can we take some time to, uh, to, to search our hearts a little bit? Uh, to, to ask God, are there areas of my life that I have not turned over to You? Are there areas of my life that are forming a barrier, a wall, to me just releasing everything to follow Jesus? And to follow him all the way into eternity. Right? Ask ourselves the question, Lord, do I respond with generosity? And so as the, the band uh, is playing, I just want to encourage you, let's be honest with God. Allow him to, to search our hearts, to shine his light in areas of darkness that we're hiding. And just say, Lord, search me, reveal, expose these areas in my heart so that I can follow Jesus in a way that he is worthy to be followed.